This is a huge series, a huge message, a huge, a huge point that is going to change the dynamic of the way we see life all around us. The way that we are able to receive love and give love, operate in God's grace, it, it opens up right here in this message. I've been building off of it through Created to Be. I was telling you about Created to Be and how to Create it to Be, but then I'm going to break it down even, even more clearly throughout this series, and we're talking about this thing right here, this is my first study Bible that I got when I first got saved, and we're talking about what's in it, and it's all these little things that we know as words, but there's something really powerful in these particular words, and that's what I want everybody to see throughout this series, that this is more than just words. There, there's a dynamic in here that is is revelation, revolutionary, sorry, it, it, it's, it's powerful, it's life-changing if you know how to read it, if you know how to use it. It's, it, it's infallible, it's inspired, it's iner inerrant. You can't translate, you can't interpret this. People ask, how do you interpret that verse? You can't. Scripture says the, that the Bible interprets the Bible. The Bible, the Bible also, it, it, the Bible interprets us. And so to think that we're going to get from a place where we interpret the Bible would say that I must be God. I've got to get to the place where I understand that this must interpret my life and bring translation into my life because this is God's word. It is inspired. That means it's breathed from the nostrils of God. That's the interpretation through, through Scripture itself. It is infallible, and it is inerrant. There is no errors. It does not contradict itself. The world says it contradicts itself. They struggle with it. Well, let me tell you, they, say, they use points like science, science says that it's scientifically impossible for a human, a man, to live in the belly of a well for three days. I believe that. I believe it is scientifically impossible for a man to live in the belly of a well for three days. I also believe that it's imp scientifically impossible for water to a sea to split so that humans can walk through on dry ground. I also believe that it is scientifically impossible for a virgin to bear a child. I also believe it's scientifically impossible for man to walk on water. I also believe that it is scientifically impossible for a man to be resurrected from the dead. That doesn't prove that, the, that this is infallible, that this is, I'm sorry, this, this is fallible and inerrant. What it proves, that this is, this is God's word, and God is God, and God is all-powerful, and God can do whatever he wants to do. If, if our theology is reduced down to scientific proof, then we've got a problem. We are deciding that I get to choose what's inspired and what's not inspired in the word of God, and when that comes into action, that means that I've just put myself on the throne and I've become God. Wow. So I've got to learn to live from a place where this is the rule, this is the truth, this is the power, this is subject, this is subject to God and not to science. I am subject to God and not to science. I've got to, I've got to decide at some point in my life who is going to be the one who is the definition giver? Who is the factor? Who is the truth giver? And who is the deciding one of who I am and who I'm going to be? There's a, there's a line that we have to cross in every area of our lives that says, am I the one who's making the decision? Is science making the decision? Or is God making the decision? This is going to clean up our life. This is going to foolproof our life. This is going to strengthen our life in every possible, in every way, in every dynamic, in every area. When we choose to decide, here's who God really is, and here's what the Word of God says. And here's, here's the first attack. That's the very first attack that Satan did in the garden. He doesn't have to bring up an issue such as homosexuality or such as drug addiction or such as pornography. He doesn't even have to talk about those issues. All he has to do is get you to think, does God's, really, God's Word really say? In the moment that we're doubting because God's Word might not say or might say then we're willing to do whatever sin is in our heart. When we're willing to allow doubt, according to God's word, to be in our heart, then sin follows. Immediately, God follows with this, I mean, sorry, Satan follows with this same thing that he's trying to prove, that he tried to prove to Adam and Eve is, you could be like God. 
And in the moment that we believe in doubt, we rest on doubt according to God's word, we've just put ourselves in a place where we think we're like God and we get to interpret what God's word says. Do you see the full circle in this? Okay, that's really good because here's where we're going. Here's where we're going. And if you decide which passages we've become God, and that's why faith is dependency on God. Because if you think that we have to understand every word in this book for it to be true, then we're, we, we're the ones with the problem. Okay. There are, in this book right here, there are 66, cha- 66 books. This is one book. However, it's 66 books. There's 1,189 chapters in this book. This book was written over 1,500 years. It is, it is all-powerful. It is revelation, revolutionary. It does give you revelation. It does change lives. It does change the world. It is, it is survived through every attack and every, every generation that has tried to destroy every one of these, these books of words. They have not prevailed. There's something else that's covering these words that is beyond natural, that is beyond scientifically provable. This was written by 40 writers. 40 writers, but only one author. There was one author, that's the Holy Spirit, who worked through 40 different individuals to pen every word that's in this book right here. It's built to last. It's built to last. So I want to tell you, as we're starting this More Than Words series, I want to tell you about a love story. We're talking about love today because it's more than words. I'm going to give you an interesting dynamic of shadow types, anti-type, and types from the Old Testament through Scripture that you know, you already know all these things, except for I'm going to twist it on you. I'm going to change your thinking. I'm going to help you realize, wait a minute, I don't know what I knew. I want you to go into this and eliminate all presuppositions. That means everything that you thought you knew, I want you to realize, put it on a shelf, I knew nothing. Okay, we're talking about a love story, and there's actually three major elements in the Bible when we're talking about this love story, and you can see it through every one of our lives. You can see it through every aspect of Scripture. The elements are this, the exile, the blood sacrifice, and the mission. Those are my three points. In case you want them already, there they are, the exile, the blood sacrifice, and the mission. And whenever I mention these elements, you're tempted to think about salvation. I want you to not think about salvation today. In fact, if we think about salvation, you've heard these scriptures time and time again, most of your lives, and whenever you think about them, you think about them in the context of salvation, but I want you to not do that, because when we, when we as believers think about these scriptures in the context of salvation, we actually miss what we're called to, and we're called to something that's far greater than salvation. Salvation, salvation, it, we're not just called to salvation. Salvation actually calls us into action. I want you to get that. We are not called, just called into salvation. Salvation calls us into action. Our calling is not waiting for heaven. You remember the song? When we all get to heaven. Come on, sing it with me. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Come on. When we all, can you sing it in Spanish? Jesus. All right. We'll sing and shout the victory. Problem with that. Problem with that is when we all get to heaven, then we can sing and shout from victory. But until then, we're defeated. We're actually, we're actually living and operating from a place of victory right now. And so there's a contrast in the theology of that song altogether. I love that song. I, love, I was born on that song. I was raised on that song. Our calling is not waiting for heaven, but to bring heaven to earth. And that's the whole context of this message right here. If you can get one-liner, and I'm going to explain and break this down of how we get heaven to earth through us. All right? So I'm using Old Testament terminology. I get it to reveal a thread that's throughout all of Scripture. And please know before I move any further, I'm glad this one's not on Facebook in case it's being recorded for podcasts, we believe in salvation. This is in no way a degradation to salvation. We strongly believe that every person should be saved. Okay? We believe in salvation. However, we're talking from a standpoint of beyond salvation, what is this, what the context of these words actually mean, actually mean for us who are, who are now saved? We're moving from that place. So let's talk about, let's discuss the first phase, and that's the exile. 
Genesis 3, 23, 24 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so we see right here the first exile. And then the first exile, it set us in a mode of thinking, oh, what a glorious day that was, if we could only get to back to the place where we're living in the garden, right? If we could only get back to that place where everything was perfect, we were in right relationship with God, we were in communion with God, and we, and, and we walked with Him and talked with Him a long life merry way, right? So if we could only get to that, that set the mode, oh, oh, I long how to be back into this season, this place. Exile defined in this situation is separation from what God has called you to. Separation from what God has called you to. Here's some examples. Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve were exiled. Jonah, while in the belly of the whale, was exiled. The people in the Tower of Babel, they were exiled whenever God separated them. Joseph, when his brother sold him into, into slavery... He was in exile, beyond his own, his own uh, control, sold into exile. David, while hiding from Saul, exile. Christ himself, while, be, while feeling the weight of the sin of the world, and he said, as he hung on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Feeling that in exile. Jesus himself, in a sense, whenever he was carried away into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, was a type of exile. Are you getting me? We must first recognize that when we are in exile, we, we are in need of a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. And we go in and out of exile throughout various seasons of our lives. We were once in exile, we were saved, and now we were brought into the kingdom. However, there's seasons where we go in and out of exile because there's dry seasons. There's seasons that God is actually leading us and calling us into a season of exile just as he did the Israelites coming out of Egypt. When they came out of Egypt, you would think they're in exile, yes, but then they went into exile. The exile seasons are often used by God to get something that's undesirable to him out of you. Exile seasons are not bad, even though we hate them. We don't enjoy them, we don't feel passion, we don't feel compassion sometimes, we feel, we feel sorrowful, we feel selfish, we feel everything except for the heart of God in a situation or in a matter or in life in general. We're having a pity party, it's all about us, why is this happening, we're in exile. The wilderness gives us a perfect example of that. I was, telling, I was telling Allie and Logan yesterday, I was in a season of exile whenever I first got called into ministry. What? Like you get, you first leave, and God told me to, to stay in Honduras. I left everything, and I, you think it was going to be a glorious time, but I actually left into exile. Well, you, did you make the wrong, the wrong call? No, I didn't. In fact, there was a season where I would spend nights alone, crying, wondering, God, what am I doing here? I just want to go home. I just want to give up. But yet I have a passion for these people. I have a passion for the lost. I have a passion for the hurting. I have a passion for all these people that have gone through similar things that I've gone through and even worse. And it was in my willingness to be humble before God during a time of exile to get the selfishness out of me because here's how I wanted this to look, but God wanted this thing to look something different that I had to get my, my will under his will. Because I went there with the right heart. I went there broken. I went there with a passion, but I went there with a passion to distribute the things that I wanted to do. And whenever we do that, God takes us into a season of exile so that he can get something out of us. Think about this. Eve wanted that apple. She would have never been able to be tempted if Satan couldn't give, put doubt on the word of God. And then she had a temptation, a desire to have that, apple, that fruit. We don't know it's an apple. Therefore, Adam, too, wanted that same fruit. There was something in there. Therefore, they had to be exiled because God had to get something out of them so that he could do something through them. Same with us. There are seasons where we get to this wall, and we're in this place where we just feel like we're not the right ones, we're not called, we're not, we're not, we're not. Though we know we're called, though we know we've, God has put us in that place, in that situation, whatever it is, 
and there's a moment where we have to decide, am I going to give up? Am I going to go backwards? Am I going to quit? Or am I going to press forward and press in? Am I going to let God have some more of me and get me out of me? Exile season right there. But if we look at the specific case of the Israelites and what, what brought them out of the exile, we'll see that what the Jews celebrate to this day, that's called the Passover, what they celebrate to this day, and that comes to this, it comes to the blood sacrifice. The blood sacrifice was made and blood was placed over the door to commemorate the celebration life. It was the freedom that God gave his people to live fully for him. With his mighty hand, he gave his people freedom to live an abundant life for him. I want you to, I want you to see this in Exodus 13, 3. And Moses said to, pe to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of, ha of hand the Lord, strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place, no leavened bread shall be eaten, he finishes that with. And I say that, I leave that in there because I'm going to bring it somewhere. The Passover supper was a celebration of freedom that they were able to live their lives fully for God. You got to get this. They were in bondage. He pulled them out of bondage by way of a blood sacrifice, had them put blood over their doorpost so the death angel would pass over. That's the whole part, Passover. He did that so that he could pull them out of Egypt, out of the control of bondage, and Egypt is a picture of bondage, into freedom, though he pulled them from one exile to another exile. But he pulled them out of there to give them the ability to fully live their lives for God. There were no restraints in, in, in the wilderness. The only restraints they had were themselves. There were no outside external restraints that they had in the wilderness. There was one exile where they had restraint. There was another exile where they were without restraint except for that of their own. We go through those exiles, okay? So, God had given them freedom to live life abundantly. Even Jesus' crucifixion, his death, and resurrection co coincide with these feasts. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 8, and here's why I mentioned the no leavened bread in 13, 3 of Exodus. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. He's saying this, in Christ Jesus, you are technically without sin. Yes, we do sin, but he is saying you are righteous. He is saying you are without leaven. So he's saying, therefore, purge out the old leaven. So he's saying, draw near to God, get rid of the sin that is in your life, the intentional sin. Those are the deep iniquities. Get them out of your life because you have the power of the Holy Spirit to work with, to partner with, to get this out of your life. And says, for indeed Christ, our Passover, I want you to see the shadow type, the Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed, who put, was put over the doorpost in Egypt so that the blood, so that the death angel would pass over. Now Jesus the shadow type of the thing to come, Jesus is now our Passover. He is the solid lamb. He is the spotless lamb. He was shed. He was the blood sacrifice, okay? That's what next weekend is all about. It was prophesied through a shadow type, an anti-type of things to come in the Old Testament. You need to get that. He was sacrificed for us, it says. Therefore, let us keep the feasts, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Now, who's ever eaten malice and wickedness? None of us. So would it be fair to say he's probably not talking about food? Yeah. Yes. So he's saying, but he did say, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So there must be a shift that he's saying, this is a different kind of dinner table that we're talking about, and it's not one where we're physically eating meat and bread and vegetables. It's more of, it's one we're choosing to eat from malice and wickedness, but no longer choose in this feast to eat from that, but from sincerity and truth. So he's shifting this thing from a, from a feast because he was at, God asked the Israelites to remember Remember, in the hard times, I've set you free out of bondage, and I've brought you into this place where you can live your life fully for me. And now he's taking it from a feast, a sitting down at the meal table, and he's bringing it into a full lifestyle. Now, the Passover feast is every day of our lives. It's a lifestyle that he's called us to live to, 
to stop eating from malice and wickedness in our lives and start, start eating in sincerity and truth, living in sincerity and truth in all aspects of our lives. Can you see? Therefore, if, if it's a lifestyle, then that means he's also reminding us that, remember, you have the freedom, you have the abundant life, you have everything that you need to live your lives fully for me. That's what God is saying. Remember the feast every day that you wake up so that you remember to live today fully devoted, committed, abundant, in freedom for Christ. It's bigger than you can think. Bigger than you can think. So death and resurrection are intimately connected to the Passover. Passover teaches us that through the death and resurrection of Christ, we are set free out of bondage. We are set free out of slavery. If the whole purpose for us for all of us to take this, sorry, to, for this to take place was only to save us into heaven. If there were no, there were no goal, no mission, no job here on earth, then why didn't the world end in that moment? Or why not, the moment you get saved, why don't you fall over and go to heaven? No, instead he gave us things like the great commandment, the great commission. He gave us things like the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we talked about last week. He gave us a way of doing these things and a, and a why of doing these things. He began to give us instruction. In fact, instead of Jesus gave the Great Commission, he told us our job assignment. He, told us our jo he gave us our job description. He told us what we are to fulfill on earth. He gave us authority to do so as long as it coincides with his vision. Because remember, he said, to cleanse the lepers, heal the, heal the sick, cast out demons, set the captives free. He gave us all these job assignments. He even told us about how the pay was going to come out. He said, take what is given to you. Don't take anything with you. He said, go into a home. If there's peace there, then stay there. He told us how to live. He told us our job. He told us our pay. He told us everything. You can, you can see it all, what we're trying to figure out even to this day right there. So that... The death, burial, and resurrection are intimately connected, but it's also connected with creation. Now, here's where you're going to have to think a little bit more openly. John 20 gives us a wonderful picture. If you want to go back and read this later, tomorrow, today, whatever it is, John 20, make that note. I can't, I don't have time for you to read it right now. But the book of John itself gives us the days for Jesus' death and resurrection. John even, he even gives a nod back to creation. And so John is sitting here writing, and he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about here's the happenings. But then he says, now while we're doing this, when, before we start, I want you to think about the same thing that took place in the beginning of creation. And here's how he does this. He says in John 1.1, the very first chapter, very first verse, he says, in the beginning. And this is exactly how Genesis starts. One, in the beginning. I want you to see the parallel because we're talking about a shadow type from Genesis to the time of the death, burial, and resurrection and through everything, all of life there that follows. Then we get to chapter 20 in John and we see on the sixth day of the week, that's Good Friday coming up, on the sixth day of the week, Jesus is taken in front of the crowd, in front of Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate sits here and takes him and he goes, here I present to you, Pharisees, Sadducees, and all you Jew haters, all you, you know, all you haters, he says, here is a man that presents to himself as your God. He says, here is a man, a man standing before you who is saying that he is empowered by the Spirit of God. You remember that story, that part of the story? Okay, hold on to that. And then he says, you and I know that Jesus was God and man. Do you and I know that? I know that Jesus was God and man, fully God, fully man. He came, in as, a, came as a man empowered with the, with the power of God. This is the Spirit of God, okay? On the sixth day of creation is when God created man. Now, this was the sixth day in front of Pontius Pilate. Here's a man who presents himself to be God. On the sixth day of creation, God scoops up some clay, scoops up some dirt, and then he breathes his breath inside of this man, his spirit, and this man became a living soul. So here is this man on the sixth day of creation who is embodied with, carrying the spirit of God. Here's this man before the people with Pontius Pilate who is a fully man with the spirit of God who is fully God. 
Here is this man who is in perfect gar- in the garden, is, is, is completely perfect, created by God with the Spirit of God. He is man, but it's empowered by the Spirit of God. You see the similarities here. We're building on something. On the sixth day after creating man, he says this. It is finished. On the sixth day, God says, I've created man. I've put my spirit inside of man. It is finished. So good. He, on, on the sixth day, as Jesus hang on the cross, he's finished. He says, it is finished. Fully man, fully God. You see the pictures. They're, they're right there together. Remember, on the seventh day of creation, God rested. He created man. Next day, he rested. On the seventh day of creation, on the seventh day of the, re- of the res- after the resurrection, I'm sorry, before the resurrection, Jesus was laid in the tomb to rest. God rested over here. He created man, put the Spirit of God inside of him. Then he rested. Jesus, a fully man, fully God, claimed to be the people's God, but he was fully man, was laid to rest on the seventh day, same day. Next day comes, John 21, 20, 20 verse 1. says, the first day of the week, which would be the first day in a new creation. In the creation story, this would be okay. So God did his thing days 1 through 6, created man in day 6, said it is finished. He rested. His intention was from this day forward, I'm going to do everything that I'm going to do through man. I'm going to partner with man. I've created him now so that everything that needs to, needs to be done in earth, he says, remember, he gives them assignment, be fruitful, multiply, take dominion. He, he says all these things. He gives them assignments, job description, etc. He says he's going to take care of him. The whole plan on day one of the new, the new week was that God was going to work through man. Let me show you this right here. The very beginning, God wanted to accomplish these things. On the, very, on the first day of the week, following, following Friday, Saturday, Good Friday, Saturday, that week, Mary Magdalene came and found the tomb empty. Right? You've read the story. A resurrection into a new era had begun. If we, we say, if we could only get back to how life was in the garden, if we could only get back to that perfect place, if we could only get back to where we were in right communion, we were in right relationship, and we were just flowing with God. If we could only get back to that place. And who does Mary Magdalene think that Jesus is when she sees him? He's the gardener. Huh. Wow. That's good. You see the shadow type? They were in the garden. Man created in the garden, filled with the Spirit of God. God's intention was, I'm going to rest and I'm going to do what I work through you. Right over here, here he is, fully man, fully God. I'm laying to rest. Now I'm empowered. I've gone to hell. I've I've defeated Satan. I've defeated the enemy. I've taken back all authority and I've returned. Mary Magdalene sees him and thinks he's the gardener. The very thing that we, we wonder, why can't we just get back in the garden? Jesus, right there in something you could so easily pass, he's saying, here's the garden. Here's the garden. Genesis 3.24, going back, he says, so he drove out the man. Remember in the exile moments, God is trying to drive out the man because he wants to put more of his spirit inside of him. Jesus has reestablished rule and reign over the earth and says to us, here, use my authority to bring change. He gives us the keys to the kingdom. That's a that's scripture. He says, right the wrongs of injustice, set captives free, love the unlovable. He says, make your world look like my world so that your people can experience me through you. See how he's making the transitions here? Genesis 3.24, going back, remember, they put cherubim with a sword that was going in all different directions so that to guard the way to the tree of life. Who's the tree of life? Jesus is the tree of life. Jesus made a way for us to come back into the garden, come to him as the tree of life. That's the very thing that God said at this moment, at this moment since you've eaten the fruit, I've got to remove you so that so he puts him back because of the resurrection. He made access so that we could come 
to that place in the garden so that we could approach the tree of life again. Have you ever been looking at something for so long, looking for something? Where is this thing? I can't find it. It's, I, I, I know it was here. I know it's right here. Only to call someone else over and they say, it's right here. It's right here. Have you ever, you ever happened? I want, I, want, I want to present to you because here's, here's the very thing that has been right in front of you all your life that you've been reading scripture and we've been overlooking it, asking God, why can't we get back to the garden? And he's saying, it's right here. It's right in front of you. I've given you, he says, he says let me see you. Let, let, let me show it to you. Let me allow you to open it up. You're, you're indeed in the garden. He goes, it's right before you. We are assigned, he has assigned for us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he gave us everything we need to do that. It's a place where we're transitioning our mind, our thinking from seeing the physical world and understanding the physical world at the rate and at the definitions of what's going on in the physical world according to what we see with our physical eyes to realizing that, wait a minute, there's a physical world, there's a kingdom that's behind it, there's a spiritual world that's also going on. There is a spiritual world with complete order that is fully God's kingdom that is set in place right behind this physical world that we're, we're living in. And God is asking us, would you please just be in tune with me and in tune with what's going on in the spiritual world, the kingdom world, and put that into place? Have you, you remember your TV was out, it was blurred. But God, and that's how this life is, and God is saying, can you just tune in the physical world with what's going on according to my word in my spiritual world? Can you bring it into focus? And would you be the avenue that I can use to bring this world into focus using my principles, my authority, my power with my vision for this world? But we've got to remember the exile moments, the very things that we go into with selfishness and woe, woe is me. That, that is the stuff that God is trying to get out of us in that exile season so that when we look at the world, we see Jesus. We see what Jesus is doing. We see what is with the injustice that we should be making correct. Number three is the mission. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five through 40, the summary is this. I read it last week, and it comes down to this. The two greatest commandments, love God, love, your, love others. That, that, that's the whole summary of, of that passage. Love God, love others. John 16, 8 and 11, I feel like God, I feel like God gave us this assignment. It says this. And this has been confused for, for, for decades. And when, verse 8, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness. This righteousness is, is of standard, is of character. Uh, so this can also be used as justice. Justice is actually one of the translated words in righteousness. That's one, one of the, uh, another interpretation, another, sorry, another uh, translation says, uses justice. And then of judgment. He says, of sin because they do not believe me, of righteousness or justice because I go to the Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, this is not a holier-than-thou statement right here, and unfortunately, church has taken it from this place of, I, it's my turn to judge you of sin, judge you of your unrighteousness, and just judge you plainly. And so here's where we have religion coming apart. This is where we, act, we got it all wrong. And we, we've, we've taken the kingdom, and we've distorted it, and we've made it unattractive to anybody in the world. And God is trying to rewrite that, bring that blur into clarity so that we can get rid of this holier-than-thou mentality. Let's talk about it. Let's break that down. Sin. There should be a clear and evident contrast between our lifestyles and the living, how the, how the, how the world lives their lives. There should be a stark contrast. Our lives should be so attractive to others that they're curious as to why and what is going on in their life. Why do they handle their problems in such a different way than I do? And why do I always allude to sin? There should be a, a clear difference between the way God's people live and the world lives so that they themselves can come to conclusions. Follow me there between our character and the attitude of that in the world, between how we love one another and how the world loves. There should be a difference. We shouldn't look, our love should not look like the world's love. 
And this is how the Holy Spirit has been sent to work through us with sin. And yes, we may still wrestle with sin. Of course we will. But how we come out of it and the fact that we overcome should be a testimony to the world. They're watching us, and they're trying to see how are they going to handle these things. Let's talk about the next one, righteousness or justice. This should be flowing through us. Righteousness, justice should be flowing through us, recognizing the injustice and being the leader of change that Jesus has empowered you to do, to be. We should see injustice, it should break our heart, and we should, by the power of the Holy Spirit, move into that situation knowing what God's Word, God's Word says about that situation and trusting Him at that and bringing justice to injustice. Instead, our generations have become protesters against or protesters for. So we stand from a place of platform and we start to argue and debate and say, here's why this, here's why that, here's why, and we're carrying little signs and we're doing all these things and we're, we're looking just like the world and here's where we are, standing on our hi-hat and we're sitting there proclaiming, these. but why would the world listen to our rants if at the end of the day our lives are falling apart just like their lives are? But Jesus modeled and empowered us to become the difference the world needs. There should be an injustice that you see somewhere that compels you, that breaks you, that moves you to step out of your own life and into becoming a gardener. We most certainly should, ask, should speak out against injustice, but our voice should be what we are doing about it because of who we be. Our voice should not be one of protesting. Our voice should be protesting by how we are and who we be. The things that we're doing because of what we believe and what we know the Word of God is. What we do should be the protest to what is going on in the world. We are called to correct the injustice that entered during the garden. Judgment, the last one is, it is finished. You've got to see this. The Holy Spirit in us brings the conviction that causes the world to, to be judged with righteousness. We should live our lives in such a way, such unity with the Holy Spirit, that when the world is around us, they feel conviction not because of what we're doing towards them or what we're saying towards them or how we're condemning them or how we're convicting them, but because of the right standing that we have with God and how we're honoring Him with our lives, there should be a challenge on their part of, man, I... I want more. I want what that person has. I want what they have. We need to judge, not judge any longer, but we should live a lifestyle that the world can judge itself against and then desire change. The ruler was Satan, and remember, Jesus took the keys, took the authority, and Jesus, it says in the last passage, Jesus has judged him. Jesus has judged him, therefore judgment should not flow through us. Judgment should never come out of our mouths. Holiness is not a list of things that we don't do. It's living from being, therefore doing. It's living from the authority and the assignment that Jesus has given us. When I'm living a, a holy life, it means that I'm living with the authority, I'm understanding the assignment, I'm righting the wrong of the injustice that's in this world, and I'm bringing heaven to earth because I realize because of the sin and the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, sin has entered the garden, and it is my assignment as a gardener in the garden to right the wrongs of injustice that have entered in by my forefathers, Adam and Eve. If we start to live and look for this world from a place of understanding that Jesus has invited us back into the garden, that he is the tree of life, he is the source, and we are completely connected, we are in complete communion, and we are in complete relationship, all through initiation on our own. He initiated originally, but our initiation is, that means I've got to go spend time with him, I've got to get in his presence, I've got to capture his heart, I've got to wait a minute. I've got to overcome the weight of sin in my life. And I've got to move with Jesus from a place of knowing, remember Gnosko, from knowing in relation, experiential relationship with Jesus Christ himself so that he, in his word, his will, 
can change the world. The story of the Bible is not one that God is rescuing people from this world, but the story of the Bible is one where God has rescued us into the world. You you hear the story of Doubting Thomas. He saw Jesus' scars, but Jesus said, how blessed are those who see the scars, but how even more blessed are those who will never see those scars. And he's saying right there, how blessed is every, every one of us. Because we don't see those scars, but we believe. There's something he's trying to show us. There's a lifestyle that he's, the Passover lifestyle that he's trying to invite us into so that our lives are fully devoted and fully lived out for God himself. We wake up in the morning, Jesus, what's my assignment? How would you have me to bring right the injustice of this world, please let my spiritual eyes be open to what you're doing this day in the world around me. Let me not be so focused on me because the more, he's fo- more we get focused on me, the closer we are to our next exile season. The very thing we complain about is the very thing we draw ourselves into. Wow. And it's just an invitation because he wants to get more of that out of you. There should be, there should be an understanding that this is life or death. Allie and I were watching a movie earlier this week, and she came out of that, and she says, in this movie, there was, people were dying if they spoke. It's called the, the quiet place. It's not the right kind of quiet place, let me just tell you. If there was any noise, there was something that would come and, and just kill everybody. And her, her, we were talking about if there was, if it was just life and death like that, what would we live out and how would we do? And I thought about that. And the next day, she came over and we were talking. I was, I was working on a house and I said, Allie, it is life or death. And if it's not, it's time for us to get back to that place where we understand that it is life or death. So what are you talking about? What we're doing. What we're able to do. It says... Many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? God has called the whole world, but only the few have chosen him. And he says, no, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Because when the moment when we think, I chose you, then we have, we, we have entitlement. But when he turns it around, he says, no, I chose you. We have assignment. There should be something that's inside of us that says, what I'm doing is what I'm purposed for. And if it's not, I need to be doing something completely different. And if I'm not living with all passion, if it's not on my mind how I can bring the kingdom to earth through what I'm doing right now, you need to revisit what you're doing. You might need to go spend a little bit of time at the gas station in Malakoff, at at the Walmart in Gun Barrel City. You might need to go to the other side of the tracks. You might need to visit your neighbor's house and sit, sit with them for a little bit. You might need to see how they live their lives. You might need to hear the mom who's cussing out their child because she can't get him to sit in a child's seat in the middle of the public, and it shouldn't, it should break your heart. Not that you want to go strangle that woman, but that you want to go over there and say, what's wrong with this woman? What happened to this woman that she acts this way towards a three-year-old child and she doesn't know what the brokenness is in her own heart? There should be that injustice that says, this is the reason that I do what I do and this is the reason I want to bring heaven to earth. This is the reason that I wake up and I can't wait to see what I can do to bring change around me. If that's not your life, you need to revisit what you're doing. You need to revisit your Why? You need to go back to the prayer closet. You need to visit the exile. You need to realize maybe I'm in exile, and God, you're trying to get some stuff out of me. Lord, don't let me say the wrong S word. You're living a dead life if your life is not saying, I am purposed for this very thing right now. Thank you, Lord, for choosing me. I want to honor you in all that I do. How can I make what I'm doing even better so that your kingdom can flow through me? gotta change guys we gotta get it what are we doing what are we doing i want you to get to this place where you know you hear from god and i want to challenge you right where you're at with this message right here i want to invite you to understand that you're in the garden i want to invite you to understand that you didn't choose him he chose you and he didn't choose you to sit in a pew he didn't choose you to sing, oh, when we all get to heaven. He didn't choose you 
to live from a place of, I can't wait to get there. I'm defeated right now. He didn't choose you. He's chosen you to empower you. He's delivered the authority. He's delivered the, in, the justice for you to right the wrong of injustice. He's given you everything that you could possibly imagine, and it's sitting right there in front of you, and he's just asking you, would you just pick it up and pay attention to it? I want you to ask the Lord right now, Holy Spirit, what is the injustice that you, that you have on my heart? What's the injustice that you're calling me into? And in that moment, I want you to just grab a hold of it. I want you to agree with him right where you're at. Agree with what he says. Don't interpret what he says. Let what he says interpret you. I'm going to give you a time to just sit there and meditate on what he's telling you to do right now. What's the injustice? What do you see in your everyday life that breaks your heart? If you're not hearing anything, I want you to ask him why I'm not hearing anything. Maybe you're in exile. Maybe he's trying to get you out of you. And that thing that he's calling you into, the thing, the injustice that he's bringing to your attention, the thing that you saw on your way to way to church, the thing that you saw on the way to work this week, the thing that you saw last month when you were on vacation. I just want to ask you, let that break your heart right now. Because we're really good at not wanting to see the injustice that's around us. We're really good at pushing it away in our hearts and just moving on and, and getting into Facebook. We're really good at picking up something to distract us from the very thing that God is inviting us to change the world. The world around us. Lacey talked about distraction. We've become really good at choosing to be distracted so that we can avoid the sensitivity of the things that the Holy Spirit is drawing us into. We've completely avoided the calling, the purpose, the desire that God had when he created us for beforehand, the work that he pre prepared us for, that he created us for. And he's... He's wanting the day to confront you with that. He's wanting to put it in your face and say, here it is. Here's the very thing that I went to the cross for. Here's the very thing. I, sal this is beyond salvation. This is the very thing that I gave you salvation for so that you could do this thing. What is that? how it is in your heart. You're wanting to push it back and you want to say, you want to downplay it. No, it's not really a big deal. That's not really what it is. That's not really a thing. And yet there's this battle inside of you and there's, there's a little bit of a tension of it's trying to get you sensitive, but you're trying to hold back the sensitivity because there's hurts, there's wounds, there's things that you haven't dealt with. There's things that people have done to you. And there's, there's, there's things that just say, if, if I do that, then this, and there's a cost that God is sitting here trying to say, there's, you got to count the cost. You got to count the cost. You got to count the cost. Because there's a cost that comes with everything when it comes to discipleship. There's a cost that comes with everything when it comes to walking the fullness of what God has called us into. And you've got to say right now, is it, is it, and am I willing to cross that line? Am I willing to give up this thing that I'm trying to hold back the sensitivity with because I love this thing more than that? Sometimes we just need some kind of physical answer and I want to invite you to open up his word. 
I promise you, as soon as you start to open up this word, and you start to read this, God's going to give you revelation. And as soon as you start to walk into the very thing that you were afraid to walk into because of the cost, the high cost, God's going to begin to give you favor. He's going to begin to open up doors that you couldn't have naturally opened up on your own. He's going to start to show you how powerful these words are, how revelatory these words are, how you can just breathe them in and they change your life. How when you start to just choose to believe them by faith, all of a sudden, things start to change in the physical world around you, and you get to see kingdom come. And in that time, it begins to bring healing. He begins to draw up, those, draw up those old wounds, those old hurts, and he gives you a word for those. Yes. And he begins to right the wrongs. He begins to speak truth in those areas. He begins to give you compassion out of that very pain that you endured for so long, that you held on for so long, and all of a sudden, from the healing of that pain, the healing from that wound, comes this deep well of compassion that wakes you up and says, Holy God, this is why you created me. I can't wait to see a moment of injustice just like this today in my life so that I can be the change that revolutionizes this world. Can't do everything you can do something and it's better to do that very something that God has created and purposed you for just wait in his presence Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you chose us. Thank you since the foundations of this earth, you had this day planned. Father, help us to see what it is that you're doing this week. Help us to see the injustice, the hurting in our families, the friends who are hurting, who are struggling. Give us the courage to invite them to this place next week. Give us the courage to invite them to coffee. Give us the courage to pray for them. Give us the, the courage to walk up to a stranger and see how we can serve them. Father, give us the courage to get ourselves out of the way. Give us the courage to get out of this exile moment by choosing you.